Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we have a casual chat with uh, some of our industry friends and former guests. Uh, today we have on uh, a writer, producer, who's been on Rizzoli and Isle, Law and Order Criminal Intent, you probably know him best from Revenge, and this podcast, of course. And now he is on the smash hit, the first episode was huge, uh, Supergirl. So thanks for coming back on, Ted. It is a pleasure to be here again. Thanks. Um, so I guess we have to just initially talk about the elephant in the room, Supergirl. What's going on with Supergirl? What can you tell us? And I know you can't tell us a whole lot of coming on, you know, coming up, but what can you tell us? What is, for fans of, of the series, how is it similar to the comics and how does it differentiate? How is it different? Obviously, because TV is a different medium. Than uh, I think in general... Uh, what you saw in the pilot, you're going to get a lot more of as the season goes along. Um, uh, Greg Berlanti, Ali Adler, Andrew Kreisberg have done a phenomenal job in that pilot of creating uh, a world where it feels like a comic book has come to life. And mm-hmm. the comic books that I kind of grew up loving that were colorful and hopeful and upbeat and exciting uh, with the right level of seriousness and and drama, but it's but it does have that optimistic outlook on life. Uh, the closest thing that I can say is that it's like watching the, one of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies week after week, um, with a really cool um, take on Supergirl. Uh, in no small part done by Melissa Benoit, who is uh, an incredible find. I mean, David Rappaport casting found her and she is as iconic uh, in that role as Christopher Reeve was in Superman or Robert Downey Jr. was immediately in Iron Man. It's just she owns that role for the rest of time and everyone who ever plays Supergirl after her will be measured up against her. Uh, She brings the right amount of joy and excitement uh, to that role and I think week after week you're going to see her become more and more super and uh, she's going to inspire people in a way that someone who wears the S on their chest should, um, which is going to be really exciting for, uh, I think, families and for kids and for kids of all ages to watch, which I know sounds like a, a PR thing, but the reality is it's very exciting to be a part of something where the, the, yesterday after the premiere, I got calls and texts and emails from friends in the industry and family members on the East Coast and people I hadn't talked to in years who said I watched it with my daughters and with my sons, and which is great because boys and girls have liked it equally, which is terrific and has always been something that you and I have even talked about right. before, which is I don't really like the fanboy culture. I like fans of comic book culture mm-hmm. um, and uh, because I think fanboy, the term fanboy cuts out a large and increasing audience of people who love this stuff and they want to see themselves reflected in the heroes that they're watching on screen. Um, And Supergirl is really going to live up to that week after week. We have a lot of DC villains and other characters that are going to come through the show that's already been announced online. So things like General Lane, played by uh, Glenn Morshauer, who from 24 and West Wing, he's great in it, and Lucy Lane, and we have Red Tornado, and we have, uh, we have Toy Man, who is, we just had the table read yesterday, and I was really excited that we were able to bring in Henry Cherney from uh, Revenge, yeah. who's like one of my dearest friends, and he just blew everyone away yesterday at the table read. The, the, he's amazing. He's amazing, yeah. and he just had, it, it's not Conrad Grayson, it's a completely different character, and he was frightening in a almost Hannibal Lecter type of way, but and but also charming and interesting. And uh, Jeremy Jordan came up to me afterwards. That guy is great, uh, and uh, which is great because they're going to play this um, uh, father-son dynamic. And I think that's what's really interesting as you start getting to episode seven, eight, mm-hmm. nine, ten. You really start to get to explore not only Supergirl but all the people that populate her universe and the and the there's a lot of universe building in this show Mm -hmm. which is very exciting for a comic book fan it's what i love about comic books on television right 
uh, it doesn't have every episode doesn't have to be well there's a glowing cube or this <laughs> we're coming here to destroy Gotham City or the world the end of the universe right it's not right. always just the end of the universe it's it's you get to do more personal stories. You get to do a mother-daughter story. You get mm. to do a father-son story. You get to explore well, what what would it be like to try to date as Supergirl. All that stuff uh, can be explored on a week-to-week basis and build on each other. Right. Uh, and, which is what comic books do. Absolutely. Comic books are episodic and serialized, mm-hmm. and that's why it's... I really feel it's a perfect medium for that. Um, and we have crazy special effects on this show mm-hmm. um, people have assumed that all of the money was spent in the pilot and then it's just going to coast right. f- from there out uh, that is not how Greg Berlanti works <laughs> <laughs> Greg said uh, really from the first day we have to make the second episode bigger than the first and uh, I like hearing it yeah and 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 in it, that's what happens. The mm-hmm. second episode is bigger, um, and the fights are incredible. The the it, it's just a really pretty extraordinary thing to see. Uh, Andrew Kreisberg, like me, um, grew up reading. Com- we were born like four days apart, I think. Really, and we have exactly like our our comic book uh, love, like a Teen Titans and all that. It really bleeds over. He was a DC guy, just like I was. So he's he lives and breathes this stuff and so it's been very interesting to watch him uh, at the board and laying out like what he thinks the direction the show should go and, and tapping into different characters and bringing them in and you say wow that's really a cool thing as a fan to mm-hmm. see happen and I think it's because there's a fan behind the show uh, who is um, really helping facilitate all of that I mean if right. all you have to do is look at what he's been doing on The Flash uh, they had King Shark on the other day. Right. And the internet blew up <laughs> <laughs> because people were like, what world am I living in where I'm actually watching King Shark right. fight the Flash? That's insane. You never would have thought that would happen. And I think there's a lot of the same happening on this show. I think if those types of either Easter eggs or surprises or twists, I don't think anyone thought you are going to see Red Tornado. I don't think anyone right. saw that you're going to see those types of characters come to life on a TV series week after week. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to happen. And it's pretty exciting to be a part of it. And I'm very happy and proud to play a small role in helping to tell optimistic and hopeful stories that are empowering, I think, to kids and girls especially, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and just talking <laughs> on a side note, um, talking about it being great that that you guys are comic book fans. You're versed in that universe. Um, I was an assistant on, on the Batman film that almost killed the franchise, Batman and Robin, and it was so clear that Joel had never read any of the comic books right. at all. He did not care. His, his influences were drawn from the TV show, which is why it's so campy. Um, and so it's great to, that you guys are again versed in that universe that, that you're passionate about that universe so it comes across in what you do as opposed to having you know a remake of something else that has been done before yeah I, and I think everyone has a, a sense of responsibility to make sure that we treat this character with respect with respect mm-hmm. uh, you know Ali Adler has been banging the drum on wanting to make sure that we have uh, a real sense of empowerment to this character um, and to keep to play up the emotional component here because uh, the, su- the superhero stuff will take care of itself. Right. All, all the special effects take care of itself. They, they know how to do that. W- the reason why people will come back week after week is because they feel an emotional connection to Kara and increasingly to the rest of the people around her, James Olsen and Wynn and and uh, Alex, I think, you know, uh, Kyler Lee, um, who is from, uh, you know, a million different things, sure, including sure. Grey's Anatomy, which everyone on Twitter will remind you of every <laughs> five seconds. Right. She's going to be the secret weapon of this show. She becomes Supergirl in her own right. Hmm. Um, she's, week after week, you're going to see her become increasingly a badass and... Uh, 
almost like a female Jack Bauer. She is really, she's <laughs> really cool. Um, and it's exciting to see her over the episodes kind of step out of the shadow of her very powerful sister right. and become a hero in her own right. So that's a neat trajectory to see starting to play out because we're now going to episode 10. So we, we know a lot more stuff that's coming uh, and it's pretty exciting. That's cool. Um, and hopeful, I'm hopeful that, um, that Kara's mom and dad not the ones from, not the Kryptonians. Mm -hmm. The other ones will make future appearances, which I don't know, it's not really a spoiler if, if people haven't seen it, but uh, with Helen Slater and Dean Cain, which is just, we were, my wife and I were watching, we're like, wait, is that Dean Cain? It's pretty, <laughs> Helen Slater? It's pretty, pretty damn cool, cool to yeah. have them there. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's also, you know, Greg and Andrew and Allie and, right. and David uh, and David Rappaport and casting, they're very smart about finding fun ways to kind of give nods to things sure. that have come before, pay respect to what's come before, but also find ways to twist it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when you see what we do with Car uh, and Alex's Earth Mother mm -hmm. and Father and where we go with that. So they are coming? Yeah, oh, no, awesome. absolutely. Oh, yeah, great. no, no, that's been, that's out there. Okay, well that's The great. Warner Brothers snipers won't take me out for that. Okay, so. awesome. Yeah. Um, now, uh, talking about how do you make a show, other, you kind of explain part of it in terms of how you delve into character, because really it's about character. Um, how, do you, how do you ensure that a show is pleasing not only to the fan, I don't, again, not fanboys, but you know, the comic book fans, but also a general audience who is not necessarily, uh, you know, wouldn't necessarily follow those types of shows, you know, the Gothams and the... Uh, I, I think the, the way that Greg Berlanti often talks about this, he right. says the stories have to work whether she had superpowers or not. Right. Um, and much in the way that Buffy the Vampire Slayer worked on a, on a level of saying, we're going to tell high school stories, mm -hmm. they just happen to have monsters in them. Right. And I think that these are emotional stories that happen to have superpower characters in them. Um, and a girl that flies around in a skirt and shoots lasers out of her eyes. Right. So the stories have to work on that level. And that's how you get people to come and watch week after week. I, there are a lot of people who watch Walking Dead or Game of Thrones who, if you said to them, hey, do you want to watch this new fantasy movie? They would say, no. Right. But they will watch that because they, they get involved with the characters. If you said, hey, do you want to watch a horror movie? They said, no, I don't want to, but they watch Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. It's because they get emotionally involved in those characters and that they understand that there's a story about the human condition. And that is, that's the drum that Greg Berlanti has been pounding from the first day. Mm -hmm. It has to work whether she had powers or not. And um, so I think that's a, the way that you satisfy the general populace and the way that you satisfy the comic book populace is to just deliver the, the action on the level that they want to see it mm -hmm. and that you don't mock the source material, that you, you pay enough respect to it, but you have fun with it. And there's a lot of things that happen along the way where you say, oh, they're not making fun of it, but they are having fun with it. Right. And I think that's the big difference is that we do little things, uh, I, I, this might have been an Andrew or Ali idea, but when uh, Kara's delivering coffee to Kat um, and she warms it up with her heat vision uh, because it got too cold uh, secretly, mm -hmm. and those little moments are, oh, that's a neat little way that she's using her superpowers in order to do her day job. Mm -hmm. um, those types of things are kind of fun. and. Uh, I think there's a lot of those that will satisfy in the Venn diagram right. <laughs> of getting both sides of the, of the spectrum kind of on board with the show. Now, did you find that being a comic book fan and having the sort of knowledge and understanding of the universe already coming in, was that a challenge to sort of, sort of I'm not saying you wipe the slate clean because there's obviously aspects of the, the books that you bring into the show, but then again, it's a whole different palette. Is that, is that a challenge to just, you know, say, reset and say, you know what, I've got to come at this from a fresh point of view 
not like this is the comic and it has to reflect that, but. We have people on the staff who I don't think had read a comic book before getting this job. Right. And they had people like me who had been reading comic books since they were five years old. Mm -hmm. um, I think we both felt like, oh, I wish I was the other person right. at different times. Sure. Um, Bruce Tim, uh, who did the animated Batman show and the Superman show and the Justice League show, he talked about being in the writer's room when they were working on, which is one of my favorite arcs that they did, the Star-Crossed hmm. uh, with Hawkgirl and the Thangarians coming to Earth, uh, where at one point they have um, one of the Hawks hit Jon Stewart's ring uh, who's Green Lantern, mm -hmm. uh, not the host of The Daily Show. Right. <laughs> and, Former host. Right. And uh, he, uh, has the, he breaks the ring with a Thangarian axe. And everyone in the room went, well, you can't do that. The ring wouldn't break. And he said, right. why not? Why? It's a cartoon. It's our cartoon. We can do anything we want. Right. And I think about that a lot because I realize, because it's an incredible moment in that cartoon. It's very exciting and it and it raises the stakes even more. Mm -hmm. And it, I would have argued, well, you can't do that because it's the ring and the ring would protect itself. Right. But it's a, it's, it's a cartoon about a magic ring. You, right. can, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Right, and right. There have been times where I've painted myself in a box and thinking about stuff. Um, and Andrew has been really good about pushing us, saying, don't worry about that. That's mm -hmm. not what we should think about. This is our take on it. Uh, uh, Alec, I think, calls it a shimmy, or Greg calls it, I forget sometimes, because who says which, <laughs> but it's what's our shimmy on it, and mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's been hard, it was really hard for me initially to get out of the box, but I think now I'm having more fun saying like, okay, I'm out of the box, and I see what works on the show and what doesn't work on the show, what ideas kind of flew and what ideas, ideas kind of fell flat, mm -hmm. and now it's more that juice of like, okay, okay, well, what can we do here? Right. You know, and, and that's when uh, it becomes a lot more fun coming up with ideas. We also have a crazy talented staff. Uh, I was, I've been really lucky. On Revenge, we had an insanely talented staff, and it's the same here. Um, people bring a very diverse um, past into the room here and onto the page. Mm -hmm. So we have playwrights and novelists and comic book writers and uh, TV writers and the, from different genres and everyone comes together and has an interesting perspective, which is really great because our characters are com totally diverse as well. Right. Um, and we have four very distinct worlds that we have to service, if not week to week, almost every week. Mm -hmm. So we have the de the DEO, which is the Department of Extra Normal something. Operations. <laughs> the operations. Yeah. Operations. Yeah. Like um, and I forgot. Uh, but the DEO is this kind of secretive, mm -hmm. 24 style alien hunting operation. Right. We have Cat Grant and Catco, which is this uh, uh, female driven Rupert Murdoch type of character. Um, we have the, the, the Krypton, mm -hmm. which we, d we service a lot on this show because we're doing a lot of universe building. And then we have the, the James Olsen, Windshot, Kara kind of the Scooby gang. Mm -hmm. You know, or we call them the super friends. Right. Uh, we're not calling ourselves that. Oh, right. <laughs> Call back to the pilot. Yeah. Nice job. Yeah. Um, so th those are four very distinct worlds to kind of track and 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 uh, we need a very diverse group of people to bring their own perspectives into right. it and keep them alive and make them feel authentic enough now speaking of of james olsen mm -hmm. who i thought was terrific actually i mean just an amazing actor yeah mccod did a great job yeah he, he continues to do a great job and he does a um he brings uh some genuine just kindness and wisdom and uh, strength to the role that you normally don't think of right. in, as, that, in as, that character. And, and I noticed you changed the name from Jimmy Olsen to James Olsen, and it's, it seems like reflective in the character, too. Yeah. He's more of a mature character. Right. He's been influenced by Superman. I think 
he is the personification of how the S mm-hmm. can transform people. And I think it he's so he's further down the road than a lot of the characters in Kara's life who she will influence. Right. So Alex will be influenced by her, Wynn will be influenced by her, Kat will be influenced by her. And Kat is a super powerful woman already. But that doesn't mean that she's not going to have uh, a little change in perspective Mm -hmm. in how she lives and what's important to her. Her life is going to change forever because Supergirl has come into it. Uh, And I think it'll be cool to see all of that happen. And James is the the representation of what the ass can do to characters. Right. And he obviously is a transitional character from the Superman universe. Being so, is there, again, and I don't know if this is something that's going to get you uh, taken down, but it, <laughs> is Superman going to come into this universe at all? Or is it specifically a mandate not to cross that universe because this is... Uh, Supergirl's universe and you don't want to you know like two suns revolving around each other you don't want to bring one into the other to draw away from what is her story well I mean I think all I can say is we're going to see uh, glimpses into that world a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, but what I like is that this show isn't called Superman and Supergirl it's about Supergirl Mm -hmm. and in the comics there are, people have their own cities. You know, you could argue, well, why doesn't Superman just fly down and capture the Joker for Batman? Right. You know, why, <laughs> yeah. you know any time that there's a bomb about to go off in Central City, why, why doesn't Superman just fly over and do that? If he's right. Superman, why doesn't he just do everything? Right. And I don't think Superman is a character about uh, solving other people's problems. Right, which is pointed out in the pilot. Exactly. I wanted her to come to her own decision to be that hero. Right. Yeah. And I think that what Superman hopes to do is inspire other people to mm-hmm. be the hero themselves. And in order to do that, you have to let them try and fail and try and succeed. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, we address it as we move forward. And Superman is always going to be a presence because Superman is a, as big a character in you know certainly this world but in our own world, is right. for almost any other major character, either religious or pop right. <laughs> or political, uh, in in history, right. Um, so you have to address it that way. But I think, in general, that over time, people will stop wondering, "Hey, where's Superman?" Mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, I'm really excited. Supergirl's here." Right. And I think that's the agenda of the show. Um, when there are certain issues that come up, that you know, we want to check in with him. We find. Some Even kind. familial ones might be interesting. Right. Yeah. And we, we, we definitely have come up with some fun ways to address that from time to time. And I think mm. people will like seeing how we do that. But in general, the show's about Supergirl standing on her own. Right. And what's cool about Superman is that he knows that's what she needs to do. Mm-hmm. And he also knows he has to respect that and let her go her own way. Right. One of the things that I love so much about the pilot is James is the mouthpiece for Superman. Mm-hmm. But everything he says, man, it sounds like it really could come out of Superman's mouth. Right. In a way that I haven't heard since the Donner, first Donner film. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that uh, James says where I go, wow, that is really, I wish I thought of that line because it's so purely Superman. And he delivers it in that way as yeah, well. Yeah, he's... And it's great, and it's inspiring, and it's, it, it makes me smile every time I think about it. Very cool. But yeah, well, I mean, he, he will play some type of role and play some type of presence, but it really is a show about Supergirl. And there are other, you know, it's no secret that General Lane, like I said, mm-hmm. comes in, Lucy Lane comes in, um, there are references to Lois and the Daily Planet and even Clark. Because <laughs> uh, they're all players in this world. It's sure. kind of like saying Ben Bradley or the Washington Post or the or Woodward and Bernstein. These are just people who exist in mm-hmm. these worlds. And because of having CatCo as a media empire, um, both in news and fashion and entertainment and all that type of stuff, those 
play, those people would play a role in Kat's life. Mm-hmm. And she used to work at the Daily Planet. Right. So um, right. there are just natural ways that those things come up, which I think are kind of cool for a comic book fan. It's like, it's like when you hear on Flash them reference something happening in Star City, you kind of think, oh, that's kind of cool. They, they've created a universe where all that stuff shakes hands. And right. that's kind of neat. As a comic book fan, I love it when I read a comic book and I see... I used to love it, especially when I was younger, when I would see the Teen Titans cross over with yeah. the Outsiders or something. Like, that, that stuff made me happy. Right. You know, or Green Lantern pops up in Flash or Green Arrow, and, and you can say, wow, that's right. They're friends. That's mm-hmm. cool. Right. So I love that. They know the existence of each <laughs> exactly. other. They're not isolated. But in, but, but in general, you know, it's not a new thing for, to have superheroes have their city. Sure. And and the other superheroes kind of go, okay, that's your city. You got it. Right. Especially in the DC universe. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, so Flash, Arrow, crossover plan? Uh, that I, kind of that, that is, that's one of those things way above my pay grade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so we, we'll, we'll pass over that. Um, how big is the staff, the writing staff here? I think we have like... Uh, you know, Greg is very hands-on mm-hmm. on the show, uh, and Allie and Andrew are, you know, gurus on this show. Um, and then I think we have, I think we have nine staff, nine people on staff uh, under them, uh, and we're just constantly. So that seems like a pretty big staff. Yeah, we also team up on every script. I see. So, um, which is not something I've ever done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been great. <laughs> like I got to work with Yanlin Chang uh, on two scripts, and it was really exciting. She's a, a tremendous writer, you know, written everything, you know, starting with ER and on. And then she was also a writer at Newsweek, so she's a really smart, established writer, and comes from character and emotion, and is a mother, so has this kind of perspective of wanting to write uh, from that perspective and I come from the more action Mm -hmm. comic book kind of direction so we came together and that's what Greg and Andrew and Allie are really good at is putting people together that will complement each other Mm -hmm. um, and act as a check and balance to make sure that the story doesn't either get too nerdy or too soft and and I think they've done that really effectively with all the team up so uh, a staff of, I think, nine, if you team up on every episode, then it comes through pretty quickly. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So I think each one of us have written three or four. And how many are, uh, like, staff writers, story editors, you know, newer writers, and how many are the producer, you know, co-producer? I think, it, I think it's like half and half. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's great. New voices. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really good. And that seems to be something that Greg and Andrew help facilitate. If you look at the staffs of Flash and Arrow, it certainly seems to be a similar type of thing, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. You know, right now, I just am in the middle of production on episode nine, and I wrote that with Derek Simon, who is either, I forget if he's a staff writer or a story editor, or a staff writer, I guess, but he's all, he, he did work on uh, Graceland before this. Mm, okay. uh, and he he's... It's been really exciting to work with him because mm-hmm. he's really smart, he's really uh, talented, and he's really hungry. Uh, and so it makes me hungry. It keeps me from being too jaded. <laughs> Although nothing can keep me from being too jaded. <laughs> but it, it's fun. It's fun right. to, to do that, uh, to work with, with um, people who are starting out on this journey. I'm kind of in the middle of it. And... Uh, kind of gets your juices flowing a bit. Yeah. Which is good. Um, now, talking about, you know, writing staffs and, and the writing process of a TV series, which is obviously different than features, maybe can you just walk us through? You guys, in the writer's room, you break a season, you break individual episodes. Writers are assigned to an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, how long does it take and what steps does it take to go from what 
you've discussed in the writers' room as this is the episode. This is episode three, for example. We, you know, all the, the entire staff has broken it. This is what it's going to be. To the point where you're on set shooting it. Like, what steps does it go through? Um, uh, you, you really work hands-on with Greg and Andrew, especially like like out of board mm-hmm. and fi- figure out beat by beat what the story is. Emo- you know, track the emotional journey, the tone um, of the of the story you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's probably a couple of weeks of, of writing. You know, that's probably about a week of having it live on the board like that. And then it's a couple of weeks of writing the script. And then you're, once once the script is done, you are in pre-production. There's so much to do. Um, but that's a race. That's, that's pre-vis for major special effects sequences. And mm-hmm. the pre-vis is pretty incredible. There's prop building. Um, from the ground up, and we have a 3D printer, so we do a lot of. Oh wow! Th- like so, things are designed and built literally <laughs> from the screen, and then printed out because uh, we have a lot of things like Kryptonian knives right. and alien, uh, you know, handcuffs, and uh, even even Astra, uh, Astra's shoes uh, were or, or Laura's shoes, her mother. Um, Laura Bonatti was showing me that these are printed from a these are Kryptonian high heel shoes that are printed from a 3D printer. It was crazy. <laughs> I had no idea that they did that. They should actually sell them. Right. I think they would sell really well. Um, so there's a lot of that work. There's a lot of finding locations. Uh, the locations have to be um, kind of comic booky, and mm-hmm. so a, a laboratory doesn't just look like what it. I used to work in a lab. They're they're they're. <laughs> They're just boring buildings, but our labs have glass walls and cool beams and all that type of thing. Um, it has to look like how George Perez would have drawn a lab right. to look like. Uh, so that type of stuff, there's a lot of prep on that. There's figuring out who you're going to get to play the villain or the guest star and negotiating with them to try to get them on board and uh, and get everyone approved. I mean, there's there's so much work. And then I, so then like a month later, month after you've been on the board, you're on a set and somehow you're, <laughs> somehow you're shooting it. Right. And th- so while the entire staff is in a room during early prep, I suppose, uh, breaking down the season, the individual episodes and things like that, when you get your episode, you're kind of taken away from the other stuff because yeah. you're so focused on what you do. Um, who uh, so do both of you go on set or like you, you had mentioned a writer that was a, a staff writer story editor um, or is, is he assigned to another script while you go to produce that episode or do you do it in tandem How you do it work? in tandem okay. I mean basically when you start on the journey for your episode right. the two of you are basically linked until you're done shooting I gotcha um, and and it is because it, you, when you come back, you feel like you've missed two months worth of time. Mm. I mean, it was like that on Revenge. I mean, when you when you went to Revenge and you produced your episode and you came back, we were usually like two episodes had been written by that point. Mm-hmm. And you kind of step back in the world and you're like, "Oh my God, what? Is, I didn't know he was dead. Right. <laughs> when, when did he die?" Right. Um, so uh, there's a little of that coming back. You're like, "Wow, oh." Lots happened since I've been gone, right. and then you spend a day kind of catching up. Right. Um, but it's you're you're you. Greg and Andrew and Allie want you to take ownership of the show, mm-hmm. of your episode, and and take pride in it, and be able to work in tandem with the director. We we have really great directors that come through, mm-hmm. um, but because this is a first season show because it is such a gigantic show and because it's a little weird to some directors who maybe aren't used to, oh yeah, she's from Krypton right. and she can see through walls and, and oh, oh, and this character is Reactron and mm-hmm. he fought Superman and, and he can fire uh, these lasers out of his hands right. that are radioactive and he can fly and like, wait, what? <laughs> some people are a little thrown. If you're not, if you're not a director who 
lives and breathes this. Right. And then you're just like, oh, I did Hawaii Five-0, and then, then I did... Right. It's a know, law and order. Law and order, right. And then you're right. coming into this. It's a little... <laughs> yeah. You can get whiplash. Right, right. Um, and then other times we have... like we, I just worked with a guy, Larry Tang, who's a, a great director, mm-hmm. and he lives and breathes comic books. Um, and um, he, you could really see him get jazzed. And he understood, like, all right, okay, what's going to happen? Is there going to do this, and then we're, the, these lasers come out here, and you're like, right, he, he gets what right. needs to happen. <laughs> right, right, this right. Is, this is his sandbox. You guys spoke the same language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he gets it. Um, now, how did you, because the last time we had spoken on the podcast, uh, you were, Revenge had ended the season, but it hadn't been canceled yet. It just hadn't been picked up. Although the waves, the wind was blowing in that direction. We knew it was over. <laughs> the wind was blowing in that direction. No, no, we, we knew it was over. It's just I couldn't say at that time. Right. Um, how did you end up here? Like, what was that process like for you being, you know, a writer-producer on Revenge, ending up on Supergirl? Uh, it, was, it was hard to get in, but I sure. pursued it. Uh, and I have to say, my agents and managers... Um, pursued it because they felt this would be a good home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I may have been the last hire, if not the last oh, hire, really? the close to the last hire. It was hard to get in the door. This was a show that had a lot of hype and excitement about it, and so a lot of people were pursuing it. So it took, I think, a long time for um, my reps to get a um, toehold uh, and and figure out how to get me through that door. Did you have a relationship with with Ali, Greg, or Andrew at all at that point? No, oh, okay. they no one knew me. <laughs> okay, coming in. <laughs> no one knew, and and not only that, they didn't. I, I, I guess a few people at Warner Brothers knew my work, and um, no one at CBS. So it was it was a real it was a real challenge to get through that door. Mm-hmm. And I think my agents were very tenacious, which I am grateful for. So thank you, UTA. <laughs> um, but then I, uh, and I didn't really think that there was a chance of getting onto the show. I, I was very excited to get um, an interview. Uh, I did stuff behind the scenes of having certain friends of mine who had worked with Greg and Andrew and Allie reach out before um, going in, which mm-hmm. is actually, I think I've mentioned this before in this show, but you you really need to work those angles so that you can do some legwork before coming in. Not mm-hmm. only do research on either the show or the showrunners, but also do research on who knows those people. Mm-hmm. Who can email and call before you go in and say, the guy you're going to be meeting with is not a jerk. Right, which is huge. Right, huge. Right. So I had different people that I knew who had worked with all three of them reach out to all three of them. Um, And I think that at least helped lay the groundwork for when I went in to not be a total jerk. Right. Um, I also had a pilot that my agents and I felt, uh, as a sample, Mm -hmm. was going to translate fairly well into the genre that they were looking to do Mm -hmm. and um uh and then i think um we had a good we had a good meeting um and uh i we had to come in and read the script uh in a i think a windowless room (laughs) with your name on every page right um, and I that watermarks yeah, yeah. And, and it was really crazy to be at the Burbank studios about to meet with Ali Adler and uh, um, Andrew Kreisberg and um, to just be like I, I can't believe that's kind of happening right mm-hmm. now so um, and it was really cool going into Andrew's office because his office looks like mine only on steroids so <laughs> there were flash toys and comic book toys and right. uh, all over the place and posters and 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 he had a dalek uh where i was like oh cool all right we're gonna speak right. this, we're gonna speak the same language right right, right 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 um and i legitimately loved the script i thought it was everything i wanted superhero stuff to be and did not expect to see on a cbs primetime show right uh, which 
It's simply that I just, it's not the type of superhero show that I thought was going to be on the air. Mm -hmm. And it was huge. It was epic. I mean, catching the plane, it, reading it, going like, I can't believe this is actually happening. Right. <laughs> like, they're not, they're not just, she's not just stopping a car. Right. She's stopping a plane from slamming into a bridge. Right. And flying and it sideways, flying through, sideways the through the bridge. Right. So, um, and it was imaginative. And, I mean, for instance, even that idea, you know, Kara's uh, problem solving uh, mm -hmm. and twisting the plane instead of just using brute force right. is an imaginative way and shows that she's a little bit of a different superhero than maybe Superman. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I read it and I, I just could hear uh, the music and I could see and hope the effects were going to end up being what they were. I don't think the pilot was done at that point. Um, and it was, just, it was just awesome. And uh, I was very, very lucky they took a big chance on me. I don't know. Well, no, they did because I didn't. I did not have. I, if you look at my resume, mm -hmm. there was nothing there that would say like, "Oh, this is the guy that we should have be on the show." Maybe they're still saying that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they took a chance on me. They did not have a personal connection with me. They did not. I would not so, look yeah. at you. Would not look at revenge, and say, "This guy should be writing <laughs> Supergirl, Supergirl right. right?" Especially in the you know, or Rosalian Isles or any of that right, stuff. Or, right. Oh wow, he wrote a cop show. Great. Right. Have them write this show. It, right. there, there just wasn't anything there like that, other than maybe in the interview, my enthusiasm, because I, I, that, that, that's another thing that I think, if you have legitimate enthusiasm, sure. don't be afraid to show it. Yes. Uh, and I've I, heard that more than once from different showrunners. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's important to be enthusiastic in a legitimate way. Absolutely. When you try to fake enthusiasm... It comes across. Yes. And it just looks... Terrible. But if you have it, and right. it's one of those rare cases when you read something or watch something and say, I actually love this. I right. just walked in and I said, I actually love this. <laughs> right. Whether you hire me or not, I don't care. Right. Just know that I will be watching and I want it. And I'm so excited that this exists. Right. And I think that carried some weight. Um, I know it would carry weight with me if someone had that. Right. Uh, about something that I had done. Um, and I think they were also proud of what they had done. So. Um, now, did did you did they know that, that you were a huge comic book fan before you went in? And is that something that you brought up? And was it uh, helpful, or was it sort of a detriment, or was it? I think it was. I think it was helpful, and they definitely knew that. Okay. I mean, my um, my handles are always, you know, Carter Hall, right. so uh, a Thangarian spelling. So <laughs> right. Uh, that, that means you're. That's a pretty deep cut. <laughs> in that world right yeah. so I think that definitely landed with Andrew and within minutes I mean the first thing I said was like oh you have a homemade Dalek and right. they kind of knew like alright then he's not faking it right exactly um, but I, I'm not sure that that was somewhat that was something that they went oh great we need an uber nerd sure um, Andrew knows the stuff way more than I do I mean we I, I share his passion for it mm -hmm. but I think he speaks it more fluently than I do, even I do, which shows how, I, I speak it fluently, but sure. I think he was like born in comic books. So, <laughs> um, so I don't know they needed someone like me. Right. I, I, maybe it was just my enthusiasm. I don't know what it was per se, but I'm, I'm, I think all, it was a perfect storm of doing my homework, laying some groundwork and showing legitimate enthusiasm mm -hmm. and having a sample that at least showed that I wasn't going to um, turning crap. Right. It may not have been the greatest work of crushing genius that they've ever seen, <laughs> but it showed I wasn't a total moron. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't a problem, but... Uh, <laughs> never know. Um, last time we, we chatted a little bit about TV, uh, what we were watching, what you're, um, what you're up to. You know, you, you, we had talked about like uh, Better Call Saul being one of yeah. our favorite shows at that time. Um, what about uh, what are you watching now? What's what's new? That's that, that's fantastic. If you're watching at all, because obviously you're working like crazy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not watching a huge amount. Um, I am. On, I just finished episode two of Fargo, season two. Oh, wow! And man, that yeah. show is good. Holy crap! Mm -hmm. I was really worried because I was like, well, I loved the first season. And True Detective was kind I, of went off that cliff. Yeah, I'm. I. I I'm one of the 
the outliers that didn't really care for season one all that much. Oh, True Detective? Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought Woody Harrelson was insanely awesome. I thought it was beautifully shot, and I thought there was a lot to love about it, but I was uninspired by who they had the killer be, and Mm -hmm. I thought there was going to be something bigger about religious conspiracy and the power of the establishment and that type of thing, and it was really, oh no, it was that weirdo. Oh, all right. Um, but Fargo is in two episodes doing incredible, incredible stuff. I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and you know what? I, I, I am way late to the party, but I am now into season three of Parks and Rec. And man, oh, that show yeah. is awesome. Uh, it is. I saw Amy Poehler on on their shooting the movie next at uh, the stage next to us, and I. Watch her walk by, and I wanted to say, oh, "I love you on that show," <laughs> Be and, you, and you did an amazing job both writing and producing that show as well. I mean, mm-hmm. that show is dynamite. Yeah, really, really good. Um, other than that, I, I, I don't, I haven't really been watching anything because I just don't have the, the time. time. Right. Uh, Sam Whitmer has got me into from Battlestar uh, Galactica. Mm-hmm. Got me into. Uh, watching the Clone Wars, which I had never watched before, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. and it's really good. Yeah, uh, I'm into season three of that, and that's really good. And I really, I like Rebels, uh, Star Wars Rebels, mm-hmm. which is also very good, and it and it gives me something to talk to my nephews Aiden and Mateo about, right. uh, because they're they they know the Star Wars expanded universe sure. the way that I used to know the original trilogy. Right. And sometimes they'll say characters to me and I'll be like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> right. But then they'll describe her, her or him and right. I'll be like, oh, right, that one. Right, okay, with the horns and the... Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool, cool. And but it's, uh, you know, th- that's kind of... I, I can watch like 30-minute cartoons or, or I put aside, you know, on the weekend, Fargo. Right. Um, but... Uh, that's been pretty much it for me right now because this show takes up this thing is a beast uh and as much as hard as uh, we're all working uh Ali Adler is living and breathing Mm -hmm. on set and keeping the you know that running Greg and Andrew are running Greg's like got six shows on the air and 92 things in development and Andrew's got Four shows that right. he's overseen. Uh, I don't know. I guess they just don't sleep. sleep? Yeah, I yeah. don't know. So, and there are clones of them, right? I mean, there could Something? be. I don't know. But um, and I, th- it's it's hard to then complain about how hard you're working right. because there are three people who are don't stop working. So that kind of inspires the rest of us, to, I think, to do the same. <laughs> right. So there's not a lot of sitting around watching TV. There's no sympathy from that end at no, all. There's yeah. not a lot of sitting around watching TV. Right. No, I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Time-wise? Um, I should probably wrap it up pretty soon. Let's wrap it up. Um, okay. So I guess... Uh, you can't really tell us what's coming up on Supergirl, so... Is there anything you can tell us? Um, Jet, uh, Reactron shows up, who is mm-hmm. an old Superman foe. It'd be interesting. I think people will be surprised at how that plays out. Um, Lucy Lane definitely comes and causes complications in uh, everyone's lives because she's a fun, sassy character. Right. Uh, and uh, her father, General Lane, um, definitely plays a role in complication for the life of Supergirl. Um, I think the the secret weapon of this show, like I said, is Alex. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how people watch the David Harewood character of Hank Henshaw develop, especially knowing what people know about Hank Henshaw and, right. and, and that character, and to see how that transpires. Um, I, I'm very excited about the Toy Man episode. It's a really, uh, it's a really solid, solid script. And what number is that? Uh, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say. Okay. <laughs> I never know what you're allowed to say. Right, fair but, enough. Um, we'll keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, it's, uh, um, <clears throat> it's, uh, Yalin Chang was kind of spearheading that, and then two mm-hmm. or, uh, Warner Brothers, uh, uh, trainee writers worked with her on that, too. Um, it's it's uh, Anna and James. They 
but they it's a really emotional cool story I think that one people should really keep an eye out for because it's it's I think people are really gonna like it and it's neat to see Jeremy Jordan kind of come into his own in that one too very cool um, but there will constantly be new heroes villains and su supporting characters uh, Peter Facinelli let me tell you that guy is awesome mm -hmm. uh, I loved him on damages mm -hmm. I loved him on damage that's damage is one of my favorite shows of all time and working with him watching him work that guy does not get out of character uh, I mean he which is not to say that he's pulling a, a Jared Leto <laughs> right. and, and mailing rats to each other. Right. But when he's on set, he's not on his phone. He's not. That's awesome. He's not, um, you know, joking Joke around. Around. You see him kind of go off in the corner, and and I'll watch him, and he goes off, and he's working on the scene, and then he'll come back to you, and he'll ask you about a line. He says, "Actually, what I was thinking is this, or help me with this," um, and then I. And so he's always thinking about it. He's pushing the character, and he treats it with a great deal of respect and intelligence. And I, it is a thrill to watch him work, and it is an honor to be on set with him. That's and to have someone treat both the text and the character with such um, not reverence, but 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 to treat it the same way he would any type of role that he's going to play. Oh, sure. And it's it, and I think you see it on screen every time he's on screen. He projects the power and genius of this character, this mm -hmm. Max Lord character, and I think he's going to be a character to watch as well. Like, oh, cool! Because a lot, you know, Max has had a lot of different kind of personifications in the comic book, mm -hmm. as both, uh, you know, uh, kind of a scoundrel, right? <laughs> a uh, rapscallion, yes, or, or you know, uh, a truly evil genius. Mm -hmm. So, I don't think people should necessarily think they know what Max Lord or any character in the show is going to do. Right, right. Um, because we are not slaves to what has come before. Right. And that has definitely been Because you guys broke the ring. Yeah, we broke the ring. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's because people like Greg and Andrew and Allie were said, let's, let's not be afraid to break the ring. Which is awesome. Yeah. Andrew. Thanks, Ted. You got it. Thanks for coming in.